everybody. Welcome to the content callout. You've got Kayla here. My guest today is Pam Dittner, and I'm really excited because Pam is so fun to talk to and has such a big personality. Pam's the founder of Relentless Pursuit, and she's a marketing consultant, writer, speaker, podcaster, and the author of three books. She specializes in all things B2B marketing, communications consulting, corporate training, and more. Pam's clients are huge. She has brands like 3M and Southwest Airlines. Pam's got a lot to say and some really great tips today, so I hope you enjoyed today's discussion. Hey, Pam. Thanks so much for joining me on the content callout today. My pleasure. It's wonderful to be here. (laughs) So before we kick off, maybe you can just tell all of our listeners who you are, where you are, and what you do. Yeah, that'll be great. Hi, Pam Dinner here. I'm so happy to be on this podcast and with Kayla. And I am based in Raleigh, North Carolina. So if you have never been to the state, you should check it out. (laughs) And I'm a B2B marketing consultant and B2B through and through, really. And I have written two books, actually two and a half, I would say. Global Content Marketing, How to Scale Content Across Regions, Effective Sales Enablement, How to Support Sales as a Marketer. And I also wrote an ebook, it's actually on Amazon, The Modern AI Marketers. I did extensive research on artificial intelligence, and I talk about how that will impact the marketers and all the marketing fields in general. That is pretty impressive, Pam. Three books. (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty sure you can do it too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we might have to get some tips from you about that before we finish today. But Oh yeah, let's talk about that. No problem. (laughs) uh, Kick us off. What are your three rapid fire tips that all marketers should know? Okay. Number one, know your customer well. I mean, know it very, very well and know it deeply, right? Number two, Number of you should be more than number of we. And I can explain that later. Yes. Number three, understand your company's MarTech stack and the processes. Okay. Well, I mean, let's dig into those for a minute first. I love how you said, know your customers and know them well. I feel well, like that's yeah. the caveat that a lot of people miss. So maybe you can dig into that for us. Yeah. So when I talk about know your customer well, it's not about having a buyer's persona. I mean, having buyer's persona is the first step. When I say know it well, it's not like, oh, that you know who they are. You gave this person a name and the hobby is about skiing. No, it's really understand (laughs) what are some some of the the customer's pinpoints, their challenges, their aspiration, you know, what makes them tick. That's what I'm talking about, know them well. Like I'm a B2B marketing consultant and my customers are B2B marketers. And a lot of them are introvert and a lot of them don't like to be on social media. A lot of them actually prefer to still use email. And the 70% of them still, like if they want to get content from me, they still look at it on desktop. So it's really about that knowing your customers very, very well. And know it so deeply in terms of how they consume the content, where do they go to find information, and where do they go to address their challenges. That's what I mean deeply. So before we get into tip number two, because I definitely want you to expand on that as well, 
How do you get to know your customers this well? I mean, I think it's a challenge for people, even when they're trying to set up a buyer persona sometimes to even know anything about that and how deep to go. And you're talking about going even beyond that. So it's actually hard. (laughs) I'm not going to pretend it's easy. It's kind of like, I mean, I hate saying this, like we are all in relationship, right? And the relationship is complicated. Even I marry my husband for... 20 years. I mean, can I say I know him well? Well, I kind of know his routine. I kind of know what he likes to eat. But do I really know him, know him well, even though we've been together for 20 years? I wouldn't say yes. However, we talk all the time, right? It's that communication of like we through talking, through communication, communicating. You're not giving me very much hope as a single lady. There's still hope. There's still hope. <laughs> and I think the easiest way is talk to your customers, right? And uh, the marketers tend not to have a chance or opportunities to talk to the customers directly. But I do encourage you that when you have a chance, talk to your customers directly. And sometimes just having conversations. Sometimes just like, hey, you've been using our product for a little while. So can you share with us in terms of what you think? Or, hey, it's our product addressing your challenges. You know, it's something like it's just casual conversation. If you have a community, leverage that, right? It's try to build a channel to talk to them. I think talking is the good way to actually get to know your customers little by little, mm-hmm. you know? So that's one I want to share with everybody is I don't think a lot of marketers make an effort, in, me, myself included, talk to the customers on a regular basis. I think sometimes there's a little bit of a hesitation there because sometimes people are scared. They're scared to get the feedback sometimes. Don't be, you know, seriously. (laughs) (laughs) Just reach out. Trust me, they would love to talk to you a lot of time. They will. Yes, you are totally right. When you kind of open that Pandora's box, you don't know what to expect. There's always good and bad and ugly that comes with it. And you need to embrace that. You just need to embrace that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's hard to be able to move forward and to grow, just like in a marriage, if you don't have that information. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like sometimes I was like, oh, well, my husband like that. You know what? Let me just ask him. (laughs) (laughs) Number two, because I'm really, really curious about this one. Number of you should be more than number of we. Yes. So... The reason I said that is actually I got this feedback from a good friend, Anne Hentley, and she wrote a book, Everybody Writes, and it was actually a great book. If you haven't read one of her books and you should check it out. And this is really about email. Like if you write an email, you should count how many we and how many I versus how many you that you use, especially in the, the business writing. And especially business marketing writing, we tend to talk about our products. We tend to talk about our companies. We tend to talk about us more than we talk about our customers, right? Oh, we have a new promotion. You know, you should check it out. Or let me tell you about our products, this and that. And we start talking about features, right? And everything we write tend to be we, 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 we. Does that make sense? So a lot of time when you write, you should turn that around. If you have this challenge, let me talk to you about this. If you run into these issues, well, you know what? Our product probably can help you. It's like writing it, but you turn that around and talk from their perspective. 
So if you do that, you should count the number of the you you use versus the number of the we you use. And in general, number of you use in a piece of content should be more than number of we. And you know what? I think that that's just like a really, really simple litmus test that anyone yes. can do. Sometimes yes. people get hung up on writing, you know, it feels really, really right. And by the time you've been slogging through it and you're finally done, you're like, I never want to look at this piece of content ever again. All the time, all the time it happens to me. I mean, there are times when you write something, it's about your personal experience. You're going to use a lot of I, that makes a lot of sense. But you still need to think when you write something, it's about personal experience. You need to write it in a way that related to your reader. Does that make sense? You can talk about your experience using I all the way through, but some point you still need to relate to that. Like the person who reading it might have similar experience that you are sharing. So in that case, when you are talking about I, which is your experience, but you are talking in the way that you're pulling yourself out and sharing that experience with someone else and how you deal with it and what your journey is. But that resonates too when you use a lot of I, but that's coming from the experience you are sharing that some other people can resonate. Does that make sense? So I want to make sure people understand when you're still writing something that's personable and you are sharing stuff that's I, you use a lot of I, that makes sense in that context. But I'm talking about when you are trying to talk about your products, you need to talk about your product in the context, how it's going to solve your customer's problem, not just talking about the features and the benefit and how good they are. I know they are wonderful, but again, (laughs) how does that address the customer's challenges and pain points? I think you're totally spot on here because there are a lot, I see this all the time in B2B. Everybody wants to talk about features and benefits. And also, also too, though, they kind of skip over like some of the educational points of it and the chance to actually connect with their audience on it. And they assume that everybody is like as deeply embroiled in the features as them. And sometimes you kind of have to bring it back to the basics. I 100% agree with you. Yeah, a lot of time is coming back to like, you know, cybersecurity 101. And you want to do a deep dive in the product and features. But the earlier stage is really about educating them about a specific topic or a specific challenge they encounter and how you as a company is going to help them. Does that make sense? I think it's a different way kind of approach it. And I was a corporate marketer for a long period of time. And I was one of them. I want to talk about products and features, you know, but <laughs> hey, guilty is charged. I think all of them. <laughs> <laughs> but there are place and time for that. Right. I mean, seriously, there will be time for you to address the product and features, but you have to understand what sales stages or the customer journey they are in and then determine what are the appropriate talking points to share that with them. And sometimes at a very early stage, it's much higher level. Well, and I think that goes back to your first tip, which is you have to know your customers. Customers well and know it deeply. And that's hard. And I'm telling you, that's very, very hard. And I'm not saying that's easy. So these two tips connect. What about tip number three? Okay. Understand your company's MarTech and the processes. So this, I have come to realize as a marketer, I was a traditional marketer. That means I did not grow up with mobile phone. I did not grow up with social media. I did not grow with SEO, right? 
So when I started, <laughs> I am pretty old. Can you tell? Not at all. You're so sweet. Love you. Hundred percent true. So I didn't grow up with that. And when I was doing the marketing, it was print. It was out of home billboard. It was radio. It was TV mailers. Yeah, and the、uh, mailers, postal mail,、mm-hmm. and. That each one of them is kind of like a separate discipline,、sure. right? You do postal mail, you do postal mail. You do TV commercial, you do TV commercial. But in the digital realm, which is in the digital marketing, everything is connected.、Mm-hmm. Like when you create an ebook, you need to think about how ebook can be used for email marketing.、Sure. When you create an ebook, you have to think about how that needs to be displayed on your website. When you create an ebook, you need to think about okay, I need to write a social media post to promote it. Does that make sense? The one piece of content all of a sudden I was talking about email marketing, your website experience, and also the social media posts that related to it. I'm not even talking about how you can repurpose that ebook, maybe to like three different videos, or you can do it like two different podcast episodes, right? There's a way to repurposing the long form content. I'm not even touching on that, right? So all of a sudden, on digital side, everything is connected. The reason that traditional marketers are overwhelmed in the past, they can see every single marketing discipline as a separate marketing field. But now everything is connected. That requires you to think differently. When you create an ebook, you have to think about how you're going to promote it and what kind of channel you're going to use. The way to actually think that. Based on my experience of making that transition from traditional marketer to a digital marketer, you need to start understanding the marketing technology that will be used for different marketing channels. Once you understand the martech stack and also the processes, it opens up for you to see things a little bit differently. Does that make sense? So the way I see it is when somebody was talking to me, say, "Oh, ebook." Okay, before I was like, "Okay, I create an ebook. Check that off." But if somebody say you have to do a campaign for the ebook, and you were like, "Oh, I can probably use that for email marketing." Oh, let me thinking about. Let me let's look into how this is done. What is the process and step that's followed,、mm-hmm. and what tools are used to make that happen? Now the ebook. You know what? This ebook we can actually do a pay media. All right. Okay. So we are going to work with a couple pay media agencies to make that happen. Well, let's talk about it. What kind of process to make that happen? So they promoted our ebook. And oh, this needs to be on a website. Oh my God, it needs to be on a website. Okay, let me check with my webmaster. How did that happen? So it uploaded on the website. And what is the user experience? So in order to actually kind of help yourself connect the dots, you really have to understand the process. Once you understand the process, all of a sudden it opens a door for you in terms of how you see the different marketing channels are connected with each other. It helps you think a little bit differently. Does that make sense? It does. I actually love this because you're talking about before you even because so many people are just like create the content, create the content. Up, no, you cannot do that anymore. You're talking about、no. like no, think it through from end to end. End. You know, that's right, A to Z, and then see where it connects. And I think that、yeah. that's actually a really, really smart way to do that. The other thing too about that is you know you're talking about Martech stack, and we have a lot of different tools at our disposal. Yeah. Oh, totally. So, sometimes there's overlap on those tools, and we don't <gasps> even realize it. Yes, so true, so true. 
That's another thing. That's why I bring the marketing technology up front. I mean, in a lot of time, it's back end. Marketers, what do we care about the most? Oh, the creative, the copywriting, <laughs> the image we select. We care about those kind of things, but those are important. <laughs> those are important. Don't take me wrong; they are. But we tend not to be strong in terms of understanding or set up the process to flow the content from one point to another, or or move the customer data from one point to another. Is that helpful? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So. While we're kind of talking about tools and stuff right now, because one of the frustrations that I often face and hear of others facing is with the addition of more and more and more tools all the time, how do you know which ones are going to be the most helpful to you? I struggle with that myself. So just want to tell everybody, (laughs) if you are struggling with what tool is actually good for you and which tool that you should use, you know what? Don't feel bad. Everybody struggles with that. So one thing I want to tell everyone is like everybody struggles with that. Nobody has panacea. Nobody has figured that one out yet. So with that being said, that's just all relax for a minute. (laughs) It's okay. I pause for a minute for a reason. Let me tell you why. When you select a technology that you think is going to work for you today, I can assure you, a couple months down the road, there will be another technology or another platform that come along will serve you even better. You know why? Because that's what technology is all about. They continue to move. They continue to evolve. They continue to accelerate. So that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So even if you think you pick the great technology or a great point platform to use today, I can assure you a year from now, you might need to change it. So the mindset of accepting that there's always a technology and a new platform out there is better than yours. You just have to accept that. Does that make sense? There are so many tools that's coming out. I mean, Kayla, you guys work with so many different startups. How many startups that, that you guys have been work with? I mean, they are creating tools and they were like, oh my God, this is the best. Yeah. But then if they don't continue to innovate and adding the codes and continue to refine their product, they will be yeah. obsolete in no time, right? So, all of it. Exactly. So always just embrace it that the technology you choose today may not work, say, a year from now. That just mentality you need to set up in your mind. Second thing is, don't that technology determine what you need to do. Mm -hmm. Understand what you want to accomplish first and source the technology. Okay, do you see the difference? So don't say, I will use this. I will use a CIM. I want to use a Salesforce. Well, before you choose Salesforce, I'm just using that as an example. Well, understand what your needs are on your sales side and the marketing side, and then determine, you know, what kind of tool you want to use. So understand your objectives, understand your, again, comes back, your process and what you want to accomplish and understand that deeply, <laughs> right? Yep. then select the tool what you think is the best at the time that you are making that decision. Well, and I think that at the time, there are some considerations that you can make at the time as well. Yes. How easy is it for me to add licenses to this tool if my team True, true. You have a different decision-making criteria or selection criteria. And then you mentioned one of them can be like one of the selection criteria. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, selection criteria. It's so important because you're right, Pam. (laughs) We're just going to have more and more and more tools. Yeah. 
Exactly. So I'm a marketing consultant, right? So it's a very small boutique and a consulting firms. And I use over, guess what? 40 tools. Woo! At any given time, email is a tool, Slack is a tool, right? I have accounting software, I have Zoom, and I do live streaming. So I use StreamYard. If I'm telling you the number of tools and I also trim my videos, so I actually download a couple apps so I can do a very quick trimming and editing. I mean, just the number of the video, a number of the tools I have is freaking insane. It's 40 or 50. You just blew my mind. My jaw hit the floor when you said that. (laughs) So many. So what about consolidation then? Like, is there ever a point where you will try to consolidate your tools or what advice do you give as a marketing consultant about that? I do. So I intentionally try to pare down, pare down, pare down the tools. Like I said, any tools I mentioned, I'm not affiliated with any one of them. I'm not here to promote any tools. So please bear in mind when I'm sharing examples with you, I'm just sharing An example, but I want to make sure everybody understands I'm not promoting the tools. So for example, I use Zoho. And Zoho is kind of like a tailor for small businesses and uh, with all the platforms that wrap into a suite. So in Zoho, they have uh, campaigns, which is they let you do the marketing automation. They also have a CIM, so you can tie with directly with sales. And they also have a, a platform that they have a chat, a platform that can actually tie integrated directly with your website. They also have a project management tool you can use. They also have a sign, which is very similar to DocuSign that you can actually use. On top of it, they also have a survey form. So if you want to embed a survey into your email campaigns, you can right do that. There, you have consolidation. You have, you have consolidations, right? So what you need to do is when you have so many tools that you use from time to time, and I'm not saying like every single quarter, but every one year or two, you need to look at your ever-growing tool that you use. And just like you said earlier, Kayla, there's a lot of SaaS-based platforms. They're continuously adding features. So there's a lot of tools tend to have overlapping features and benefits. You need to find out what they are, and then you have to make an effort to consolidate. I do agree with that. But in general, people tend to grow and grow and grow and their tools. But really, and nobody is really looking to consolidate, especially in a big enterprise. So that can be an issue. Like when we're even talking about a high growth startup, everybody's wearing 25 different hats and you don't have necessarily the person that is there monitoring yeah. what all the tools do and making sure that there's no maverick spend and tail spend yeah. from department to department. It's definitely a challenge. Yes. I think for everyone. <laughs> I don't think there's an answer for that one, except that if you actually do have like the operations, sales operation, marketing operation, like the operation function of the company that kind of look at the tools consistently, even with that, they tend to focus on say sales group or the marketing group or the HR or the accounting. Does that make sense? So they look at a specific function when they actually determine how they want to pare down the tools. So let me just change gears a little here. Sure. You're B2B, you're B2B through and through. So I think that you have lots of experience with sales departments and marketing departments. And this is something that you and I have talked about before. So I'd love to get your opinion. Like, let's start at the bare bones. How should sales and marketing integrate together? Okay. So before I even start with that, I want to make sure everybody understands that sales and marketing are different. 
they have the same goals, the business goal. They have the same revenue goal. They have, you know, that they want to accomplish. But the things that they are different is how they approach the things. For example, the salespeople will say accounts and the marketing people will say buyer's personas, right? And the salespeople tend to more focus on like the bottom of the purchase funnel and the marketing tend to focus on the top of the purchasing funnel, right? And the salespeople tend to be very short-term driven. Every single month, every single quarter, they have a quota they have to meet. But for marketing, we tend to focus on long-term, especially on the B2B side of things. We are talking about brain awareness. We are talking about building the brand. We are not talking about nurturing. All that just a long-term, right? But sales are like, you know, I need to close sales tomorrow, right? So they are like a different mentality. So from get-go, we think a little bit differently and we approach things a little bit differently. Does that make sense? So once you understand the differences between sales and marketing, then you can see, okay, we are very different, but can we find some commonalities? And can we find some commonality that we can work together? So when I talk to my clients and I always try to explain that sales and marketing are very different, they acknowledge it. Then I also encourage them, if I facilitate any kind of planning sessions for them, I will help them to find that commonality. What are some of the commonalities they can work together, right? It can be just one joint initiative that's integrated the marketing automation and the CIM together, okay? Or that's defined the MQL versus SQL. Or, hey, we have nothing in the pipeline. Marketing, how can you help us to actually build our pipeline? Things like that, right? Or we have no templates. We have no sales content. Marketing, can you help me on that, right? So find one or two things that you can jointly work together. I think that's a good start. Yeah, I think so too. I think that sometimes like when you join a team that's already pre-existing too, some of these like, I don't want to say problems, but opportunities. They are problems. (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes it's hard to know like where to interject yourself and what you can do. So I like that tip that find and work on together. But the other thing too is like, how do you think that you can improve the quality of leads that you're passing off to sales. So you said define MQL, SQL. Like what do you think the best definition of that is? The way to improve the quality of leads is you actually have to qualify them. Mm -hmm. So the marketing tend to just pass the raw leads directly to a sales organization. Unless there are people assigned on the sales side to actually kind of filter and really look into the lead if you just pass that or throw the leads over the fence and they expect that is going to click with the salespeople, that's not going to fly. And a lot of time, you know, you have hundreds of people, thousands of people come to your website on a regular basis. And even though you use IP sniffer and you kind of know who they are maybe, or they fill out some sort of form when they attend a webinar, you still have to qualify them. Does that make sense? Somebody has to kind of sort through all the MQL and the leads, and then determine if this is worth passing to the sales side. And unfortunately, that responsibility is usually not very clear And in terms of who should owns it, right, to qualify and to filter the leads. Should that be marketing's job? Should that be sales job? In many organizations, that part of it, it tend not to be well-defined. 
And that tend to be where the fiction engendered. So honestly, that can be part of the marketing's job. That can also be part of a sales job. It really depends on how the company define that specific roles and responsibility. But the key things is, in addition to definition, what MQL is, what SQL is, you need to make sure you qualify them. And the one way to qualify them is the salespeople needs to clearly identify ICP, which is ideal customer profile. What is the ideal customer profile on the sales side, right? Is it a manufacturing segment with a company size over 2,000 with the annual revenue of 50 million and the focus on selling product in North America? So try to identify what the ideal customer profile is. So when the marketing people get the lead, they can do research and make sure whatever that lead they pass to meets that ICP or the certain selection criteria of the customers or the accounts they want to go after. And look, this all ties back into your tip number one, which is... Know Know your customers well and know them deeply. And you know, I was going to ask you because you have worked with marketing and sales departments at large enterprise companies and what Mm -hmm. the difference is between those sorts of companies and then you're like high growth startup. But at the end of the day, this part is the same. Same. They are the same. There's no difference. You need to know your customers well. The more I'm in the marketing field, the more I supporting sales, the more humble I am in terms of knowing my customers. There's no way I can actually stand up and say, you know what? I know my customer well. No, (laughs) you will never know your customer well, just like you never know your children well. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you raise your kids for crying out loud. It's coming from your body and you spend days and the times with them, but you still don't know in their little minds what they are thinking about. And also their personality continues to evolve, right? So it's hard. Well, and I think that's a valid point too. Like we're talking about the differences here between enterprise and startups and both still evolve, even though like big enterprise companies are a little bit more established. Yeah. I mean, the thing about the big enterprises is I always feel that they have the advantages. The big enterprises, because they are so established, so they have budget, they have money, and they have a big sales organization. When you have a big budget, you can do a lot of stuff. But they are also hammered or hampered, if you will, by legacy system. So they cannot move very fast. Oh, Lord. uh, (laughs) (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. And it's like making one change is like moving a Titanic. You know what I'm saying? Oh, we are making a turn. It's going to take a little while to turn. <laughs> anyway. And heaven forbid it doesn't work because then you're, guess what? You're not making another change for a long, long time. Yeah, that's also another thing. You brought up another good point that a lot of time that people, especially in a startup and they're trying to get enterprise accounts, they don't fully understand in terms of, oh my God, I don't understand why you are not taking risks. And I'm talking about startup working for the more established accounts. That's because when you take the risk and you fail in a big enterprise, it's very hard to correct the course. Does that make sense? So a lot of time they tend to take a more conservative route. And again, this is about understanding your customers. So like the startup was like very frustrated with uh, big accounts. I was like, oh my God, why can't you guys move faster? Why can't you make a decision faster? Why can't you just try this? That's because there's a, a big risks involved internally. If that doesn't work, it's very hard to get people to move and to change that direction. So let's talk about the term account-based marketing. Like what yeah. is account-based marketing, Pam? Tell us. <laughs> 
All right. So account-based marketing is just basically accounts. <laughs> like on the sales side, they don't talk about, oh, I'm talking to IT decision makers or I'm talking to a soccer mom, you know, with a certain kind of demographic. On the sales side, they always say, I'm talking to American Express. I'm talking to HP. I'm talking to Intel. And they always mention about company names in a way it's account. So if you are supporting sales, you have to supporting sales in terms of how they talk, right? So when we do marketing, we tend to like, oh, we market to IT decision makers. We market to uh, content marketers. But really on the sales side, they don't think that way. So when you are trying to do marketing to a specific type of customers to support your salespeople, you actually tailor your marketing effort for accounts. Does that make sense? So like maybe you are doing a very much targeted customer outreach for healthcare segments, or you are doing a very targeted customer outreach for American Express, or you are doing very targeted outreach for two or three similar customers. Does that make sense? So that's account-based marketing. So if your uh, salespeople are selling to a specific account, you are doing marketing to support that. You are tailoring your marketing outreach to accounts, a specific account in a way that's called account-based marketing. And it comes in many different forms. For example, if the customer basically said, hey, you know what, we are going to do a private event for American Express. So you created a private event for American Express and that's pretty much account-based marketing. Then if they say, hey, you know what, to reach out to American Express and they are like a 20 decision makers we have to talk to and you find out who they are, you do a programmatic ads to reach out to those 25 decision makers that's a pay media type of effort that's also account-based marketing. And so account-based marketing comes in many different forms. Does that make sense? So that's what I want to share with everybody in terms of account-based marketing is with the marketing outreach, you do it and tailor for a specific account. Well, and like you said before, digital marketers, it's all connected now. So yeah. when you are making your marketing plan, Mm-hmm. You have to get back to the basics, like you said, and see how everything interconnects. So what about a marketing plan? This podcast is going to be out in Q1. A lot of people okay. are looking at their marketing plans or they're already done and dusted. But what do we need to know about making marketing plans? So first of all, the marketing plan is the internal documentation. Okay, When we create the marketing plan, it's create kind of like a roadmap that will guide us in terms of what we will do for next year or next two or three quarters. So it's kind of like a guiding light for us. And that's internal document. So you don't see a lot of companies share their marketing plan. That's because it's internal and it's confidential. So one thing you need to know is because it's internal, you need to understand that who is going to see this marketing plan, right? Is it your intern? It's basically different marketing functions. Then you need to make sure everybody's marketing tactics or what they're trying to do incorporate it into the plan. This plan also will be reviewed by the top management because you need to get budget, right? <laughs> so a lot of times we create a marketing plan because we need budget. Right. So it needs to be viewed by the top management. The key things about marketing plan is understand who is going to view your plan. And second thing is create a plan also to get additional headcount and budget. So the marketing plan is not just to rally all the marketing functions. So everybody moving toward the same direction. 
another thing is create a marketing plan that you can also show people what your contribution is and also how many headcounts and the budget you need to make things work. That's the key thing about creating marketing plan. So when you create your marketing plan, how should you plan for agility? That's actually a great question. When you create a marketing plan, it depends. If you create a marketing plan to a request for budget, you create it based on how your vision of how your marketing plan will run for next four quarters based on specific budget you're going to get. Mm-hmm. And once you get your budget, you probably have to pare down <laughs> because we don't usually get 100% of what we <laughs> ask for. Yeah. So you probably have to pare down your plan. Does that make sense? So if you create your plan and you have a specific campaigns or specific activities or a specific initiative that identify, you obviously have a budget associated with each one of them. And when you get your budget, then you have to prioritize, determine what are you going to do. The agility of it comes from you have to review it on a regular basis every single quarter. For example, COVID hit. Everybody yeah. shut down. Yeah. Right. <laughs> then you have to look at your plan and you're like, oh, you know what? I need to do something very differently. We allocated $500,000 for events. That yeah. is no event. What should we do with Our it? Events. <laughs> exactly. So I think the jollities come from in terms of if you look at your marketing plan and you know what are the activities you're going to do and how much money you're going to spend, when things pare down or when a natural disaster strikes, God forbid, hopefully nothing happened, right. you should be able to look at the budget and also your t- activities and determine what you want to do next. So I want to ask you this before we wrap up here. Selfishly, there's something that I just need to know because this is something that's been on my bucket list for a long time. Okay. You have done it. And I think a lot of people that listen, including Mark, are my co-host. Okay. We've all tried to do. So tell us, Pam, how do you successfully write a book? Drink a lot of wines. Drink a lot of wine. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We all like to create something internally, like humans. We are makers and we are creative creatures. We like to create something. We call it our own. And the reason that we all like to create something, that's because it's like a piece of art, right? I mean, it's very hard for us, like a painter or to be a sculptor. Because that's very hard. But we all own a pen. And that sometimes it's easy to write something. So writing a book tends to be a lot of people's bucket list, including mine as well. And honestly, my original goal is to write a fictional book. Mm-hmm. Then I come to realize I absolutely had no caliber. Like you realize when you like start writing, it was like, oh my God, I had no talent. <laughs> so. I don't think I can, I'm built for it. And I don't have talent. I don't know how to do a character development. I don't know how to, like, how the story all tied together. Like me thinking how everything is connected digitally. And I don't know how to change that thinking and see how the characters are tied together and create a storyline fully. And I just acknowledge I have no talent for that. And I was like, oh, you know what? I'm a B2B marketer. I have done marketing for 20 some years. I supported sales and I, there are something I did very well. There's something I feel miserably. And uh, why don't I share some of that lessons? And when I was looking around at that time, I was like, oh, nobody's writing about global content marketing, how to scale content across regions. 
And it's a very niche topic. Why don't I start with that? So I started with a very, very niche topic, like nobody talk about. And then that's kind of my journey. And then the key thing about writing, when I was writing for that book, and I struggled initially because that was my first book. And I was thinking, should I write it like two people talking? Or should I write it like an essay-like, one chapter, one topic? Or should I write it like there's a framework? So it ties everything together. So the key things about writing a book, especially I'm not talking about fictional book now, I'm talking about (laughs) non-fictional and the business book, is you have to determine what is the framework. Mm -hmm. You know, once you have that framework, everything will come naturally. So I started writing the first book, like writing two people talking. And I was like, oh, it fell apart very quickly because I'm not very good at telling story at that time. Now I'm like, oh yeah, tell me anything I can say. I can talk. (laughs) But way at that time, I was not very good. So I was trying to have two people talking about a specific topic, but it fell miserably. I didn't, I cannot carry it through. Then I change it to, oh, why don't I just write it like one topic at a time, one essay. So it's 10 chapters. But it didn't work either for the topic I want to talk about. And eventually what I did is create a framework, mm-hmm. right? So I'm talking about global content marketing. So I'm talking about you have to plan it, you have to create the content, you have to promote it, and you have to measure it. So I create a framework and that's how I develop it, the, the writing a book. So my recommendation for everybody who's writing a book, in addition to pitching to a publisher that I can share with you at a separate time is when you are looking into writing a book, it's like, if you actually have a specific knowledge you want to share, you have to think through how do you want to put it in the way that people can understand. And a lot of time it can be a framework or it can be a process, or it can be like, you know, the topic so well and you define it by challenges. So think about it, how you want to do that first, then everything else will come naturally. Amazing. Thank you so much for that advice. Oh, you're welcome. Before we say goodbye, tell everybody where they can find you, what you're working on, what you're up to. How do we connect with you? Oh, yeah. You can Google Pam Dinner. I'm everywhere. (laughs) Except TikTok. I have not gotten my dance down. I'm working on my dance. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I am actually a virtually all social media channel. So if you just type Pam Dinner, you should be able to find me. And I also have my website, pamdinner.com. And I have my YouTube channels and I'm a YouTuber. Can you tell with whopping 500 <laughs> subscribers? <laughs> but I do make an effort because I'm a content marketer. So I try different formats of content. I also have a podcast as well, B2B Marketing and More. So if you want to check that out, feel free. Yeah. Like I said, if you have any questions related to sales and marketing on the B2B side, reach out to me anytime. i well, happy to answer your question. Well, amazing. Thanks so much for being with us today, Pam. This was a lot of fun. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us today. Wow. Pam is awesome. And that was so much fun. A big thanks to Pam for joining us today and all of those amazing tips. There were so many takeaways, but I have to say for me, rethinking your emails and communications to your clients was a big one, as well as just really, really getting to know your customers. Make sure to check out Pam's books, Global Content Marketing, and also Effective Sales Enablement, and also subscribe to the Pam Dittner YouTube channel. 
Thanks so much for joining us today. Please leave us a rating, tell a friend, and join us next time. Bye. Bye.